Hello, Hive Nation. Welcome back to the Hive Nation podcast. Each week, we have leading experts in personal and professional development share their journeys and expertise to help you connect, engage, grow, and evolve. Now, here's JB to introduce today's guest. Hey, thanks a lot, Greg. Uh, today, it's quite an honor to have uh, Mr. Ryan Mickler with us today. He is the uh, creator of Order of Men podcast, uh, which in part is the Iron Council. Um, I'm sure we're going to get into a little bit of that here today. Um, he is a, a published author, uh, two uh, great books out there. One is the uh, Masculinity Manifesto, and the second one is Sovereignty, and that's uh, the newest one. Uh, that one's just out here, actually, last year. And uh, Ryan is also the creator of the greatest tagline I have ever seen. Uh, protect, provide, preside is one of the greatest uh, lines that I've ever heard. And uh, yeah, so it's a real privilege to have you on the on the podcast today, Ryan. Yeah, glad to be here. I do want to make one quick correction. Sovereignty was my first book and the Masculinity oh. Manifesto was my second. So oh, I just wanted to Sorry, my bad. I on that. Sovereignty was the second one. Sorry. No, it's it's the first one, but it did significantly better than the second one. So it's interesting to see what message resonates and what doesn't, and how oh. people respond. So yeah, really quickly, uh, what is the 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 message of sovereignty? Uh, so sovereignty is about taking control of your own life. So it's learning to lead yourself. It's learning to let go of. Uh, expectations or beholden to other people, whether it's your spouse or even the way other people view you. It could be a potential employer and really recapturing your own liberty. And then I wrote Ma Masculinity Manifesto as a follow-up to take now that information of newfound freedom and turn it outwards and begin to lead other people effectively, harnessing our uh, masculinity and, and our masculine traits for productive outcomes for others. So that's that's why I wrote those two books. In this day and age, you can probably write sovereignty part two. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't, and I just re-released it, you know, because uh, I had some back-end publishing issues, and learning to run a business can be a challenge at times, and costly and time-consumptive. But uh, we're working it all out. Right on, right on. Anyway, th thanks for being on on the podcast today, Ryan. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I've been looking forward to it. So uh, I know you guys reached out. I think it was last year sometime, and. Yeah. I was taking a break as things wound down and uh, I was glad we were able to do it at the beginning oh, of the we year. We understand that for sure. Thanks. Uh, any, any time of your time is very uh, precious to us as well. So thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, before we kind of dig into the meat of it uh, for our listeners, uh, the Hive Nation, tell us a bit about your background, Ryan, and kind of where you came from and, you know, where you are today. Yeah, if you want to start back from the very beginning, you know, I grew up in a pretty average household. Um, my dad was largely out of the picture by the time I was three, but I had a couple of stepfathers come into my life who, you know, they weren't great examples of what it meant to be a man. Uh, it wasn't horrible. Uh, one, one was an alcoholic. One was verbally and emotionally abusive. Um, you know, so that's, that's the example that I got. And uh, joined the military out of high school, did some odds and ends and different jobs and things like that, like anybody would. Um, eventually went on to have a, a pretty successful financial planning career. And I started experimenting with uh, digital marketing and how I could use that to grow my financial planning practice, which long, long story short, ended up morphing into the Order of Man podcast. We have millions of people that listen to the Order of Man podcast, but what a lot of them don't know is I actually, it's actually my second podcast. I had another podcast prior to Order of Man called Wealth Anatomy, where we focused on helping financial professionals with their 
uh, financial services, investment, retirement, estate planning, that sort of thing. So uh, I realized very, very quickly, I loved a podcast. I love being behind this camera and this microphone, but I didn't want to continue to have that conversation. I, I thought it was time to have a different conversation. So in uh, 2015, March of 2015, we launched Order of Man and very, very quickly grew. And uh, I realized we were onto something very, very important in culture and society today. Why don't you uh, expand on Order of Man for the listeners of ours who have never heard of it or, or you want to check it out? Why don't you kind of expand on, on Order of Man? Yeah, so overall, my mission is to reclaim and restore masculinity. And when I say that, sometimes there's some confusion about what that means. But, you know, I think generally, most people would agree that masculinity is on the decline. Uh, we've been very feminized in society today. And not that being feminine for women is an unimportant role or not a crucial factor in a thriving society. It's that we need women to be women and men to be men. And uh, if you look at how men are raised, you know, we're raised by single mothers, we're raised by educators who are predominantly women. And so it's not a surprise when you couple that with government intervention, even the medical field, uh, interjecting their thoughts on masculinity. Years ago, the American Psychological Association uh, came out with a quasi study, using that term very liberally, uh, suggesting that the characteristics that men inherently possess, things like dominance and competitiveness and stoicism and aggression are inherently toxic or destructive to our boys. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. Um, my job is to help men harness those characteristics and others for productive outcomes. And that's the distinction I would make between masculinity and manliness. Uh, masculinity, a lot of times people will say is virtuous. Other people will say it's toxic. It's actually neither. It's amoral. If you look up at the definition of masculinity, it's just a set of characteristics and behaviors that we as men possess generally uh, due to our biological makeup. So you could use, for example, violence to commit horrible atrocities against other people. Everybody would agree that that's a unrighteous use of masculinity. If on the other hand, I saw something happening and I interjected with my ability to administer violence on another individual who deserved it, most of us would agree that that's an excellent example of using masculinity for the positive, which is what I would call manliness. So we do a lot of different things in order to fulfill that mission, but ultimately, is it over this shoulder? This shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Our job is to protect, provide, and preside, and I help men do that. That is an, an awesome message, and just the way that you described that, I was going through my head as you were describing you know, how, when, and, and how you project violence. And uh, of course, there's been like the odd, you know, guys getting the odd Donnie Brook just for the fun of it. But then there's other times where people step in and because somebody's uh, being an idiot, plain and simple. And, right. uh, and you know, there's the, the old saying about, uh, you know, the fuck around and find out scale. And, uh, you know, that, that happens, right? Yeah. And that's, that's exactly how it works. That's how it goes down. Well, it's interesting. I had a conversation about just that. Um, so I, I have a black belt in judo and I coach quite regularly, regularly, Ryan. And uh, one of my uh, good friends that I coach with, he's like, you know, people that have the highest capacity of violence are the least violent people, typically. He's like, because they don't. Right. Need he's like, they front that with good communication skills. So if you have somebody who has such a high level of you know, ability to be violent, but it's backed by 
not having mentors, not having the right coaches, not having the right environment. Well, that's when you, I think typically we see these guys that get that toxic masculinity, if you will, versus guys that have a high level of capacity of violence, great communication skills, have mentors, have coaching, have groups like Order of Man, the Iron Council, the Hive Nation. Uh, they don't need it. And it's not necessary. It's a tool in our toolbox that is extremely important. But if you can use stronger things like communication than that, I think that's uh, that's such an important message that a lot of people need to uh, need to really read into and look into more. Yeah, and it's not just it's not just verbal communication. People don't mess with me when I'm out in public, and because there's something about me and I'm not bragging or beating my own chest. I'm saying there's something about a man who's capable of violence. There's something about a man who carries himself assertively, who looks a certain way. You look at him physically and you think, well, I'm not going to mess with that guy. I'm going to mess with the guy behind him. Who's a, a scrawny weakling that I could easily overpower. So a lot of people tend to write this off as some mysterious force. Like this guy's got the X factor. No, it's not. It's not just some variable that we can't account for. We can certainly account for it. And you're talking about judo. I've never done judo a little, little bit. Jiu-jitsu is more my game, which obviously incorporates a lot of judo uh, with the throws and things like this. But man, if you're not making yourself capable and always, not just violence, but to be able to communicate a message effectively, to be able to present yourself well, to be able to be an addition um, and an asset to your neighbors and your family members rather than a liability, then I think we're falling short in our potential of being men and, and leaders in the community. Hey, Brian, can you tell just for our listeners uh, how you decided to, you know, transition out of the, the financial world and into a, a entrepreneurial type of world and, you know, start your own business and, and carry on from there as to where you are today, write two books, just, oh, I'm write two books, you know, nothing to it really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's it's really not as difficult as I think people make it out to be. Sometimes I hear people say that things are difficult as an excuse not to do them. And I'm, I'm always hesitant about that. But to be clear, I was uh, an entrepreneur with my financial planning business as well. I started with, with, a, with a company, an insurance company based out of New York. Uh, I did that for about four years and then eventually just built my own practice and started my own registered investment advisory firm. So I was a business owner, an entrepreneur prior to starting Order of Man. But when I made that transition, I was doing a couple hours in the morning with Order of Man stuff. Then I'd do my regular day job. Then I would come back from work and play with the kids and have dinner. When they went to bed, I'd do another hour or two of Order of Man stuff. And it just gradually took up more and more of my time. And then I think about seven months or so, into order of man is when we released our first course or program, I should say called the iron council. And I had 12 spots available and we sold those spots out very, very quickly. Uh, and, and that's the first dollar I made, you know, seven, eight months into doing this and realized, okay, now I can make money doing this. This can be a viable business, not just a, a movement or a hobby. And uh, that's kind of when the lights turned on for me and, over the next five or six months, continue to build the business. And then I uh, eventually sold my financial planning practice to a good friend and colleague of mine. Uh, and he's still in the business and took over my book of business and paid me for it. And I, I made that leap. 
Very excellent. Um, how do you uh, how do you go about and write uh, two books like you have? Like, how, where do you start? You just get out a uh, Microsoft Word or whatever word processor you use, and you just start writing. I mean, I, it's that's it. Uh, for me, the way that I did it is I had a rough outline of what I wanted to create. And very simply, the formula for me was to have, uh, let's see, four, four parts. I think actually five parts. Yeah, five parts. It's been a long time since I reviewed these last couple of things. Because when I write, I'm like, oh, I'm exhausted. I put it away and kind of forget about it other than the message. But five parts. Uh, there was three to four chapters within each of those parts. Uh, and then I just started writing. And my goal for both books was to write these books in 90 days. So I wrote a thousand words for each day for 90 days. Now there were some days that I missed and some days that I made up and some days that I fell short and some days that I wrote a little more, but ultimately that was about the average. And uh, yeah, there you go. 90 days, have a book written that's, they've both done very, very well and introduced our message to quite literally millions of people that not, who would not have heard it otherwise. So uh, what I realized too, when I was writing is that, that even though I had an outline for it, and I knew what I wanted to talk about, and I knew what order I wanted to talk about it in, things changed. And so as I wrote, I'm like, ah, oh, that, that anecdote belongs here. This story belongs there. This part actually should be part two. This chapter belongs in this chapter, not this one. So you, you begin, for me anyways, to flesh out those ideas once you start the project. You can have a little bit of a roadmap, but there's going to be variables that you need to be prepared for and realize that you don't need to pigeonhole yourself into a, an outline uh, just because you wrote it before you started writing. I think that's like, that's such an important like note too. And I think a lot of people in general, not just men get caught up in, well, it's not the right time. Well, I'm not quite at the level that I, I, I I'm nobody. I can't write a book. Um, so over, over time, and, and maybe you've drawn some of this from your childhood, from the military, what are, those strategies or tools you've used to just kick yourself in the own ass for lack of better terms and go, okay, I just, it's today, it's day one or one day. Like what are the tools that you've used to just begin? I wish I had, I, ha I wish I had like a 10 part <laughs> toolbox or something I could sink you to just do it. That's it. Just, you just do it. You just make the decision. And, and at this point, doing something is ingrained into my DNA. If I have an idea, I feel quite honestly that I owe it to my creator to act upon it. That idea, that inspiration doesn't just poof, come out of thin air. It's like energy. Energy is not created. It's not destroyed. It's just transferred. So if that energy or that idea is transferred to me, then it's my responsibility to be a conductor of that information and transfer it into the heads and hands of people that need to hear it. So, you know, one thing I hear quite often, and this is comical, but I hear it is men who will wait to go to the gym until they get in better shape. That's what the gym's for. You're supposed to go to the gym to get in better shape. Don't tell me you're going to get in better shape and then do the thing that's actually going to move the needle. Just go. Oh, you know what? I'll write a book when I'm a better author. Writing a book will help you become a better author. I'll write a book when I have more people in my audience. Writing a book will help you get more people in your audience. Yeah, it's not going to be perfect. In your first iteration, you probably will be proud of it in some ways and maybe even a little embarrassed about it in others. So what? Do it anyways, because that's what's required to achieve the life that you want. If you think about it, Ryan, how many, what percentage of people write a book? 
one less than I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it's low. It's very low. Um, I saw the clip about you and you talked about uh if you have a time frame, why don't you try and cut it in half? And I, I love that. Yeah. I, I love that whole concept of of you know time is just a made up thing that it's not it's not a real abstract thing so you know if you have a time frame of 30 days why don't you try it in 15 days you want to all you have to do is work harder i guess you know how, what's the what's the key to it right so what would you say to somebody who's mm, very much drags their feet or very much needs a kick in the ass like greg just said yeah there's uh oh i, f- I forgot which law it is but the law states that your uh, work will expand to the time allotted. So if I gave you six months to complete something, you'll get it done in six months. If I ask you to get it done in three months, it'll likely be done in three months. So why, why does it take six months when we know we can get it done in three? Because we dink around, we procrastinate, we waste time, we get distracted with other bullshit, and we don't do what we need to do. But if you focus on getting something done in half the time, the distractions go away, the time wasters go away, and you're head on whatever needs to be confronted and, and getting it done. So I think I learned that from Tim Ferriss. I think he was the one who initially introduced me to that idea. But it's really interesting what we're capable of when we give ourselves a shorter time frame and we commit ourselves to doing that work in that time frame. That's why I write those books in 90 days. I've been thinking about writing a book for years. If I never gave myself a deadline, I'd probably still be thinking about writing a book today. So I decided to put a deadline on it and make it happen. Everybody's like, oh, 90 days? Yeah, everybody can do that. Every single person can do a book in 90 days. I, I love the concept. It, it totally makes sense. <clears throat> Earlier we talked, and like I, we've been talking about this throughout the whole podcast on you know how important masculinity is in you know the rapid changing world we live in. I'd go out on a limb and and maybe I'm wrong to say it's easier for guys and men to understand why masculinity is important in our personal lives at home. You know, if if you're a family man or, you know, just being a good man, how important is keeping that masculinity in mind in the business world where I think sometimes men are more afraid of, Oh, if I'm too assertive, I'll, I'll come off as a dick or, you know, I'll come off as that boss, not the leader. You can't assertive and being a dick is an oxymoron. You can't be assertive and be a dick because assertiveness takes into consideration the other party. So if I've got uh, an employee that I need to be assertive with, I'm going to take into account what they might be dealing with personally, what their own personal goals and desires and ambitions are. And then I'm going to use that information to help move them towards completing the task or the project I've assigned them to. Being a dick would be more synonymous with aggressive. So you have different kinds of communicators. You have passive communicators. These are the wimps who have ideas, but they won't share any, and they're getting railroaded all the time. They don't speak up. If they do, somebody else walks right over them. Then you have people who are aggressive. These are the dicks, right? These are the guys who yell and scream and shout and put everybody down and beat up everybody's idea and push people down to prop themselves up. Then you have the passive aggressive communicators. These are the ones who are, they, they want to beat on their chest a little bit, but they do it in a, in a roundabout way. They make little snide comments. Maybe they're the, the class clown. Maybe they poke at everybody and they make little jabs or they, they make these like sarcastic comments all the time. It's toxic. 
And then you have an assertive communicator. An assertive communicator knows what he wants. He knows what he's after. He knows what resources he needs. He takes into consideration other people's opinions and perspectives and insight and experiences. And then his sole objective is to get the mission done in the best way possible, whether it's through his own action or bringing the right people in or giving credit or an assignment to somebody else. So absolutely, we as men need to be assertive, not aggressive and not passive. The challenge is, is in order for you to move from a passive communicator or just individual into an assertive individual, you need to tap dance into asshole territory because you don't know the line right now. You, you, you don't, you, you've never experienced it before. And so when you go to assert yourself and you've never done it in your life, you're going to feel like a dickhead, but you don't know where that line is. You have to be willing to tap dance on that line and figure out the right way to approach this and how to assertively inspire people towards action. Wow. So that's very, very well put. And I think that's going to resonate with, yeah, our whole audience. It's just something that I've seen over and I know JB too, like we see over and over in our other business and uh, we, we do sales coaching. You see it all the time, that nice guy or good man. And the passive aggressiveness, it just wrecks the potential some companies have to be great because you have this miscommunication and this complete lack of structure or assertiveness in companies that have such great baselines that they just walk themselves right into a brick wall and then go, what happened? Where did that wall come from? Well, maybe you should look in a mirror and go, oh, we just put it up ourselves. There's a lot of exercises that I've suggested that men do to move out of that passive area. And they're very simple things, but for somebody who's passive, it seems challenging. Uh, one might be at the office where somebody says, hey, where should we go for lunch today? Decide. Hey, I'd like to go to X. fill in the blank. You decide. And if they don't like it, they can say, no, we'd rather go here. And I would say, as an assertive person, say, hey, that's great. If you all want to go there, how about next week we go to this place? But that, that's one thing you can do. Another thing that you can do is you can, as a, just an exercise, you can ask for a discount everywhere you go. Do that for a month. Just ask for a discount. You go to buy a pair of pants. Hey, is there any sales going on? You go to the restaurant. Hey, can I get a discount on that because I'm local? Like, I don't care. Just ask for a discount. It's not about the discount. They might say yes. They might say no. It's about your ability to assert yourself. If you don't get something that you like, maybe you get some food at the restaurant and it's overcooked. The steak is overcooked. You need to send it back. You have to send it back because you're learning how to be more assertive. So you very politely say, hey, I ordered, uh, I ordered medium rare and this looks like it's, uh, it's, it's medium. Can, can I please get another steak? These are like little exercises that we can do. And if we're deliberate about it, there's all sorts of things we can do on a daily basis that will help improve our ability to be assertive when it actually matters. The steak doesn't matter. There's other situations where it actually matters. Yep. That's really funny. It made me think of this story. And my, uh, it's about my dad. He is so good at that. Um, we recently just got new phones, me and him. We were in, uh, I was home for Christmas and we both coincidentally needed phones at the same time. So we go into the, in TELUS, it's a, in Canada, TELUS is one of the big providers here and we're setting up and the people were awesome because we'd rather go in and do business face to face. 
opposed to online. That's just how we are. And they were great. And they're like, oh, there's this $60 connection charge. If you do it online, you don't get charged for it. And we both looked at this clerk. We went, you're kidding, right? We're here now. So you're going to charge us $60. But if we did it online and we're in your store giving you commission, we don't get charged that. But yeah, that's right. But okay. So we did the process and we left. We both called individually. But yeah, we've been Telus customers for X amount of years. We've always had Telus phones. We have the internet. Um, you can waive the $60 fee. Yeah, not a problem. Like without hesitation, they gave us that $60. It wasn't going to make or break us, but it was the principle of how ridiculous that charge was. And 99% of people, if they didn't ask, they're not going to get. Right. I had a I had an interesting experience just the other day. I needed a rental car. Uh, my previous rental car fell through. So I called another company or another office and I said, hey, do you have a car available from tonight at six o'clock to 10 tomorrow morning? And they said, no, we don't have one. And uh, I said, like, I could have just ended it there. But instead I said, hey, look, I, I know it's, you know, you've got your thing or whatever, but I'm just looking for a car this evening. Just I'll come in right now. I'll drop it off at nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. So it doesn't impact your rentals. And the woman on the phone said, well, hold on, let me check. And she was about two or three minutes and she checked. Now, in this case, she was like, I'm sorry, we actually don't. But you know what? That's when assertive person does. Because eight out of 10 times, she comes back on the phone and says, actually, we do have one that you can rent. But as an assertive man, that's the thing that you need to do. It also works in the dating world. You know, I, I, hear, I hear from a lot of men and a lot of women who have hard time connecting with each other. And part of that is, is because women are looking for assertive men. So if a man matches, for example, on a dating site with a woman and says, hey, would you like to do something? And she says, yes, his natural reaction, it's ridiculous, is what would you like to do? Don't ask that question. That's a dumb question. She said, yes. She's looking for you to lead. You already led, you asked her out. That was leading. Now make a plan. So, hey, I would like to go to this restaurant at this time. I've got a reservation at seven o'clock. Does that work for you? She's going to say yes. Yeah. Because nobody else does that. And she wants it out of her hands and to know that she's going to go on a date with a man who can assert himself in a positive, healthy way. Ryan, I'm going to give you a free hack here. You ready? Okay, let's hear it. I'm ready. So you phone the, uh, you phone the car rental place, right? And you said, I need a car from six o'clock tonight till 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. They said no, right? Yeah, right. So what you do is you say, Sorry, I meant I need a car from six o'clock tonight till three weeks tomorrow. And instantly you'll get a car. It's funny how it works. Isn't that right? <laughs> then you just go and drop the car off tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock and uh, all's fair and well. I'm going to have to try that next time. Hopefully I don't need another rental anytime soon because I got in a car accident and we're hopefully we're done with that for a little bit. That, that's a free hack that I'm not even going oh. to invoice you for that one. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'll try it out. <laughs> it's it's weird, but I'm not sure how or why it works, but they have long-term rentals versus short-term rentals. All the short-term rentals, all the long-term rentals sit there and they're in the same system. It's just not for the person who's checking that says, but it's in the system six o'clock tonight to 10 o'clock tomorrow says zero, but they put six o'clock tonight till uh, January 28th. Huh? There is one there. Two, three. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'll try it out. I'll let you know how it works out. The only reason why I know it, it works because I, I've used it. It's, it works. 
and it's awesome. worked every time so far knock on wood i hope nobody's listening to this that's worked for a budget or anything like that but uh yeah it, it works jason bears just got blacklisted <laughs> that's right no longer renting with budget <laughs> um hey ryan why don't you uh why don't you tell us a little bit about um you know do you do you use a mentor do you have a mentor that you use do you mentor do you currently mentor anybody I don't, I don't mentor anyone individually, but we've got our iron council and I'm very active in there. Um, I've, I don't actually enjoy one-on-one -on -one mentoring. And so I, I used to, and I don't really anymore. There might be certain circumstances. Maybe it's a close friend or, you know, somebody needs like something specific that I can offer. But the reason I don't like mentoring, and this is a, a clue for those who are looking for a mentor is because most people don't even know what the hell they want. And so they're like, I just want to be better. Well, I don't really know what that means either. And if you don't really have a target, there's not anything I can help you with. I mean, we might hit something, but I don't know if it's going to work for you. But if somebody came to me and said, hey, I want to make an extra uh, $200,000 this year. And here's the money. I'm, I'm already making a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, and here's how we're doing it. And here's how I'd like to generate that additional $200,000 of revenue. Can you help me? Okay. Yeah, I can probably do something with that. I can help you with that. Uh, so I do a lot of my mentoring in, in a group environment through our iron council, where I'm talking to a large group of men and sharing ideas and insights and different aspects of life. And then ultimately they get to decide what they do with that information. I don't need to hold their hand. I'm not vested in their, their results. Ultimately it's up to them to decide whether or not they implement it. Uh, but as far as mentors, I always have a handful of mentors. I've got a couple of spiritual mentors that I talk with just about every week Two in particular. Um, I've got a business coach who helps me on a part-time basis, look for ways to leverage my audience into marketing opportunities for increased sales in the business. Um, and then there might be other mentors that I hire on a temporary basis for certain elements of my business. Maybe it's social media marketing. Uh, I have a coach that helps me with my nutrition and my workout program. So yeah, I've always, I always have you know, you were talking earlier about martial arts. I, I've got trainers that I've used in the past, and I'm going to try a new uh, a new gym here soon. That that's going to be my instructor, right? So I'm always looking for people who can help me improve my performance in, in aspects of my life. Leveling up is a big thing. So anybody who's listening, if you want to level up, just do it. Just find something else, find somebody new, do find another gym, do whatever you have to do to level up. Yeah, I think a lot of the times people believe that because they're at a certain place, they owe some sort of allegiance to that place or they hit plateaus and they think, well, I want to be loyal to this person. And I can appreciate that. But any good coach is going to realize that, hey, if you want to achieve a different result than you're currently achieving, you've got to have different information. And that might mean that you need to hire somebody different because your priorities have changed. So let go of the one person respectfully and bring somebody else in who's going to help you get to that next level. There's different coaches for different levels. There's coaches for being mediocre. There's coaches for being good. And then there's coaches for being great. So that's the way yeah. it works. Well, and that could be a good litmus test. It's been something I've been thinking about a lot lately with, you know, the, the professional coaching space, it, it could get a little convoluted at times. And as uh, as a person looking for a coach, if that coach is so worried about your business and they're like grabbing on you and they're like begging you to stay, that's probably a better reason to leave. Some of the best coaches or mentors out there 
they're so confident in what they do because they know this is my niche. You know, this is what I specialize in. Hey, Ryan, you need help with jujitsu. I'm a judo guy. Go talk to my buddy, Andy Hung in the States. He's way better at that. I can help you with judo, but you know, if you need that, let me know. Coaches. Yeah, and if I wanted to improve my throws, then I would go talk with you because that's yeah. an element of our of our practice. So I might talk with you specifically for that. Yeah, and the I've seen it too, and I'm sure you have, and I know JB has. It's like so often these coaches, they're so afraid to to lose the potential client. Well, you're probably more likely to keep a client if you let them go off and explore their own journey. If, if you're a coach and you need to be so in control of somebody else's destiny that it's, it, it then becomes about you, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And if, if that is a relationship to anybody listening that you feel like you've been in with a mentor or a coach, yeah, I'd probably look elsewhere. You know, there's the Iron Council, the Hive, there's so many groups that, you know, uh, Ed Milet and Andy Frisella have uh, RIT Syndicate. Like there's RIT. all these amazing groups out there. Like, go find one that works for you and a coach and a mentor that works for you. It's, it's not one size fits all. Yeah, that's true. hundred percent. You also can't lose what you don't have. One of my, uh, one of my friends in the financial planning business would tell me this as I would go meet prospective clients and I'd have to worry about getting this presentation just right. And I'd say, cause I don't want to lose them. He's like, you don't even have them. Like you're not going to lose them cause you don't have, they're not yours to lose. And, and when you only have one client, uh, it reeks of desperation. That's that's the problem, and it's it's repulsive. Achievers don't don't want that. Uh, oftentimes, people will reach out. They'll email me, and they'll say things that ultimately they want me to sell them on why they should join the Iron Council. I don't need to sell you. You you emailed me, which means you're interested, and I'll send an email back and I'll say that. Hey, look, you emailed me, so obviously you're interested, and all I can do at this point is talk you out of it. You're looking for me to tell you why you shouldn't, but you're cloaking it as why you should. So you've already said no the minute I respond and try to start selling you. Why don't you just join us and see if it's a good fit or not? And if you don't, I'll wish you the best. Those people always join. They've already made the decision to join. Anything I say at that point is going to talk them out of it. Yeah, that's a really good point on, on how to on how to say yes instead of saying no. You know, you're basically just you're, you're, you've agreed to the deal already by emailing you, it, really, because why would I waste Ryan Mickler's time in order to email him about the Iron Council? He, the guy knows about the Iron Council already, right? Why would you waste your own? It's not, they don't care about my time. Very few people think of that, that's, but they're not going to waste their own time emailing me. That's true. Yeah. Um, what is, uh, if for anybody listening in a, a 30,000 foot view, what is the iron council in your, in your own words? Yeah, it's a, it's an exclusive brotherhood. So we, two things that exist inside the iron council is we have frameworks and we have a network and every man needs those two things. He needs a network of other men in his corner, advocating for him, supporting him giving him a kick in the pants if he needs it, giving him new ideas and insight he wouldn't normally have. So that's the network. The framework is a system that we can plug into, a system that's proven to work, that's proven to create results. And that's what they're going to get inside of something like that. And if you don't have those two things, I'm sure you guys do as well in the hive, a framework and a network, it's probably not worth exploring. Bingo. Um, 
where where do you take where do you take the uh where do you take the framework uh within the iron council to uh keep achieving or, or to keep growing the the framework how do you how do you do you just take the ideas from the people that are within the iron council or how do you yourself build that framework out does that make sense uh you, how do i i'm just let me rephrase it to make sure i understand you correctly how do i build a framework or resources and information that continue to evolve so that i can serve other people is that is that what you're saying yeah exactly okay yeah I mean, that inspiration comes from everywhere. I don't feel like I have to do it all. I used to believe that, but I'm limited by my own experiences. But I have a bunch of other people in there. We have team leaders. We have people who are contributing to different forums based on entrepreneurship or finance or fitness or firearms or name the category. And I'm not moderating all of those channels. We have other people who are experts in those fields having those discussions, creating that dialogue looking for answers, looking for questions. So it comes from me. Yeah, sure. It comes from podcast guests. It comes from outside experts that run different courses and programs in Iron Council. And then it comes from members as well who are experts in all sorts of things. I got a guy, uh, a call with a guy tomorrow. His name is Drew. He's in the Iron Council. And he wants to talk with me about my LinkedIn profile because he thinks he can do some things to improve it and use that as a, uh, a recruiting mechanism. Great. I'm all ears. I don't know anything about it. You do. Let's see what we can do. So it's pretty powerful when you have, again, this network. We definitely see the value of network and how to utilize a network and how to push ideas out to a network. Um, as a matter of fact, I just did one this morning just to get feedback on, uh, you know, on, on a question that I've got. But, you know, if I, it, the, the, I always tell our network that if you can't tell me the truth, don't bother telling me at all. Like if you don't, I don't need you to, to pump my tires. That's not what I'm asking you for. Right. So I'm asking you to cut the bullshit out and just tell me the way it is. I might not like it that that's entirely, that's not your fault. That's my fault. You know, so I'd rather have you tell me exactly the way that you see fit rather than sugarcoating everything. And I think if you have the right network, that's what the right network will do instead of putting white gloves on and, and trying to, pamper your ass every time the only uh the only caveat i would add to that is that if you are the person who's doing the communicating then i think we as the communicators have a responsibility to communicate it in a way that a person will receive it well mm -hmm. so a lot of the times you'll hear this like zero f's mentality and i don't care what anybody else thinks and if they don't like it then that's their problem well if i'm trying to communicate a message to my kids and my kids aren't responding well, whose problem is it? It's my problem because I need them to clean the house or do their chores or get ready for the day or whatever they're going to be doing. So I need to, as the communicator, get rid of this macho mentality like, I don't care what anybody else thinks. No, I do care. I care about my kids. I care about the people in my life. I care about the guys in the Iron Council. So it's my job as a communicator to do it in a way that's going to help them move toward their desired results. Yeah, you hear that a lot, dude. Just like you said, like, oh, I don't give an F about anything. Well, that's right. your fault, not mine. But uh it's so arrogant. That's a terrible attitude. Yeah. With with utilizing a network uh and communicating with different people with different expertise, how do you like outside of the Iron Council, we can use how we got connected as an example. You know, I was following you on social media and I sent an email to you. 
ask you to come on and join us here. Said the time wasn't right. Fast forward, time's right. Now we're here. How do you get, like when you receive a contact, whether it's a DM, a call, any email, how do you look at that and go, yeah, that might be worth my time or yeah, that's genuine. Is it instinct? Do you have, you know, keywords you look for or any, any, anything like that? That's a good, I think, I think instinct is probably a big part of that now because I've been doing it for almost a decade. So I can tell what would be good and what isn't. Um, There, there probably are some keywords. I couldn't tell you what they are, but if somebody, if I can see that an email is, is personalized, because a lot of the times what these big media publicists will do is they'll say, Hey, I really like what you're doing. And I like the last episode you did on dot, dot, dot. And then it's a, just a regurgitated email. I'm like, okay, that's somebody who doesn't really care about what we're doing. So there's that. There's also brevity. If somebody writes me a novel, I'm not even, I'm probably not even going to read it. Not even probably. I won't, I don't have time to read a novel, Like, get to the point. Tell me what's in it for you. Tell me what's in it for me. I know there's something in it for you. Otherwise you wouldn't have asked. And there's gotta be something in it for me. Otherwise I wouldn't do it. So let's cut with the bullshit and just tell each other, Hey, this will help me this way. This will help you this way. What do you think? And then there's a litmus test. You went through it. Hey, message me back. You know how many people actually message me back? Not very, very, very few. So you messaged me back and you said, Hey, we talked last year. You said you were busy. You said to reach out in the beginning of the year. I'm like, Oh shit, this is somebody who's serious. Good. Yeah, let's do it. And that's what I wrote. I said, yeah, let's do it. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of, of Greg's character, Ryan. So he told me when he first reached out to you and that's what your, what your reply was. Guess what Mr. Greg did? He put it in his calendar on his phone and it literally come up as a, as a notification. I have to uh, contact Ryan Mickler because he told me to do it at this time. And guess what he did? He contacted Ryan Mickler again. Yeah. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, you know, good on you. Like, I mean, there's not very many people who are going to do this. So go ahead and give her a shot. I mean, what have you got to lose? Nothing. And yeah. so here we are. Yeah, I usually do that. Um, you know, if, if Joe Rogan e- emails me, I'm going to say yes. Of course. If somebody who I don't really know or not connected with, I say, hey, reach out to me in a month or two. And if they do and they reference back, I'm like, okay, this guy's serious about it. Cool. I like that. That's a big, that's a big indicator of character to me. Yeah, it's thanks, JB. Thanks, Ryan. But the, it's one thing too I, I've noticed so much is people are afraid of what's possible, and that's why they that's why so many people don't apply to you. They're they're all talk, but when it comes to actually doing something, they're like, "Oh, this is intimidating as hell," <laughs> right? Like, I can't, I I can't do that, but. To go back to the very start of the podcast, just start, just do it. Stop making. I remember, yeah, for sure. I I remember years ago when I was doing the financial planning stuff, um, I had an acquaintance that I wanted to call. I knew he was very well off financially and I wanted to call him and see if I could help with this portfolio, but I was scared. And I had this list of people that I called my chicken list that I was afraid to call (laughs) uh, because it was intimidating. And I remember calling this one person in particular and I said, Hey, you know, I I'm fairly new in the financial planning world. Um, but I work with a team and I've got some good resources and I would love to show you what I'm doing. And he, I'll never forget this. He said, Oh man, he's like, I would love to work with you. And I said, great. He says, but I just started working with somebody new two weeks ago. How come you didn't call me sooner? And that was like, it was so frustrating, but it was a light bulb moment for me. Just make the call, just write the book. Just ask her out on a date. 
if she says no, or you don't get the promotion, or you don't get the raise, you don't get the job, okay, you're not any worse off than you currently are. So just do it and let the chips fall where they may. So if you don't ask, you don't get, is that what you're saying? Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Somebody else who has the balls to ask that probably does an inferior job to you will get the opportunity. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Ryan, uh, it's been a, it's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you today. Uh, I mean, there's not very many times we get to chat with a gentleman like yourself and especially the, uh, the masculinity scale, I'll call it, you know, is, is very uh, diluted nowadays. And uh, you know, to talk to somebody like yourself and have somebody like yourself, you know, spit your knowledge on here has been a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Hopefully it was uh, valuable to anybody listening. Absolutely. And uh, before we before we let you go, Ryan, for our listeners, where can people connect with you and uh, with the Order of Man? Yeah, the Order of Man podcast is a great resource. I think we've done over 1,100 podcasts now, 460 or 70 individual interviews. Uh, or if they want to go to orderman.com or personally, if they want to connect with me, I'm most active on Instagram at Ryan Mickler. So they can connect with me there too. Fantastic. Uh, Ryan, we appreciate the opportunity and, uh, look forward to connecting you again in the future, but for now, Hive Nation, we're out. <laughs>